All right. So hi, everybody. Thank you so much for being on today. Um, today, we're tuned in for another session from our chit chat series, where our customers and users share their perspectives on modernizing and automating the work they do at MonthEnd. Um, you know, we've done quite a few of these so far, and I think these type of um, real-life interviews are pretty helpful, uh, especially in this environment where we're all, you know, trying to adjust to the new business paradigm of <laughs> remote working, uh, making do with fewer resources, um, less time. There's really nothing better than hearing the stories of those who have walked the same path to take a manual and a traditional process and really modernize it to fit today's business needs. Let me introduce you to Kemba Financial Credit Union. Uh, Kemba Financial Credit Union was founded in 1933 as a credit union for employees of the Kroger Company. And it actually stands for uh, Kroger Employee Mutual Benefits Association, Kemba. <laughs> the original branch was actually inside the Kroger Bakery. Today, the credit union uh, continues to serve, of course, Kroger Associates, but also employees of more than 175 um, companies in the general area, plus anyone who uh, works or lives or worships in select counties of central Ohio. So Kemba currently is over a billion dollars in assets. It serves more than 100,000 members, and the credit union is continually recognized both as a state and a national leader in the credit union industry. And today's guest is Janet Euler. Janet, thank you so much for being here today. And if you don't mind, can you introduce yourself to our audience? Sure, thank you, Nancy, and I'm so excited to be with you today. Um, as you mentioned, I am the controller of Kemba Financial Credit Union. I started with the credit union in 1997, um, and while I started there as an accountant, and while I was working for Kemba, I actually was going to school when I earned my bachelor's and my master's while employed at Kemba, and then I was promoted uh, to the controller in 2004. So I've been there for 23 years. I've been the controller for 16 years. And um, I have two dogs, two cats, two daughters, and one son. <laughs> Which one doesn't belong? I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> so, Janet, um, obviously, you know the credit union inside and out. Walk us through uh, your typical month and close process prior to adopting automation. So, like, how many people participate in the process? What does that timeline look like? You know, what are the key activities you do during the close? If there's any sort of management or audit requirements, walk us through um, that traditional process that you were doing. Sure. We have about eight people that participate in the close, um, heavily relying on the accountants and myself. But then we have two financial analysts and our CFO get involved in certain aspects of the close. But we start out with our entries, our accruals, our prepays, our depreciation, allowance for loan loss. And that typically takes us about two, two and a half days for us to get all the information we need in to make the entries and then to actually close the general ledger. And then from that point, we work on financial reports to, for the board and the management group. 
And that takes us about a day to two days to complete the reports and then have them quality checked. And then we move on to the reconciliations and the miscellaneous tasks with closing a month. And then the reconciliations typically took us from that, um, probably the start of the second week and most times through the end of the month with the accountants doing them and then being reviewed for sign off um, we were really hitting that last day of the month before we started another month. Mm -hmm. And do you, do you know about how many accounts you were reconciling, um, either month end or at quarter end? Yes, we, we are required by policy to do a reconciliation on every balance sheet account every month. Um, so we have, a little over 600 balance sheet accounts and some of those are um, grouped together so we have one net account so it's not quite 600 recons but it's probably well over 400 balance sheet reconciliations that we were that we're doing a month yeah which is a lot considering you really just have a handful of folks who are you know doing the work um, how did that, how did you guys complete the reconciliations um, prior to automation? So for most people, it's usually spreadsheets, you know, tell us about whether you were printing, creating binders, or was it SharePoint? Talk to us about that. Sure, we, um, we were printing, we were printing a lot. And at the start of every year, we would buy these manila folders and somebody would have to make a folder for every reconciliation that we had. And then each month we would put our reconciliation in there and then supporting documents from third party servicers or um, bank statements. Um, so by the end of the year, we had a pretty big um, folder. So you think about that 400 folders with all the documentations, my accountants are having to pull the folders, do them, then they're all coming to me or my financial operations manager helps me sign off on them. And so, uh, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of paper. And we actually yeah. um, transitioned to art for our March month end, and we actually went remote the third week of March. I have no idea how we would have handled the folders and getting them back and forth to each other remotely. So we would have had to, we had started tipping our feed into PDF files, so we would have had to come up to speed on all PDF recons. Had we not moved over to, to art? Yeah, it was it was really perfect timing for you. It's as if it, you knew something was gonna happen, Janet. Yeah, I did not, I did not know there was some. <laughs> but the timing was uncanny. Um, so it, it sounded like you were doing a lot of printing, some arts and crafts with the manila foldering system, um, but the, the, the process was fairly organized. So there wasn't any sort of audit findings or anything like that. It was working, right? It was just highly manual. Yes, it, it actually was working very well. Yeah, and that's, um, that's not unusual. Um, you know, just because the process is manual, it doesn't mean that it's not working. And almost all of our customers Prior to modernizing, they were running pretty mature accounting teams like Janet, where people know what they're doing and the work is getting done. It just comes at a cost. It, it requires 
disproportionate amount of you know effort compared to the output it dominates people's resources and it's expensive especially when you factor in the cost of people's time and the kind of work that they're doing I mean, reconciliations are kind of a really interesting animal because it's such an important part of the month on close. It's a great internal control. It's a fraud detection mechanism. Um, it's just great for you know verifying the accuracy of the the trial balance. It's 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 it, it relies on like a bottom up approach for validation, which is really effective. But the thing about the reconciliation is that it also comes with this second piece of super manual work around the templates, the paperwork, the support. Um, so. It's really interesting. And, you know, with a manual process, it's just very difficult to get insight on it once you sort of completed the process. And I think, Janet, one of the things that you were, you know, kind of unhappy about, even though the process was being done every month, was the fact that there was just so much paper, there was so much admin that you couldn't really sort of figure out or track the open items and look at analytics. I think that was one of your pain points coming into, um, coming into the project, right? That was um, one of the pain points we had as we as I was reviewing a reconciliation or my financial operations manager was reviewing a reconciliation. We had to remember as we were checking them if there was an item 90 days or greater to then put that on an Excel spreadsheet that then we were going to forward onto the CFO. And if we just missed it, then our 90 day or open item report wasn't really accurate. And that's easy to do as you're going through them and signing off on them. And you just don't think about why well, I gotta move that item over here. So that was one of the um, drawing factors for me was the reporting system in SkyStem. Yeah, and we'll take a look at that in a bit. Um, and just the fact that I think you were trying to track it, the open items piece is really commendable. It's one of the most important things that you do as part of completing reconciliations, right? To figure out what is stale, what could be stale, really track it, maybe monitor it for write-offs. And it's also one of the most difficult things to do. And because it just requires so much sort of data compilation, a lot of teams actually just sort of go without or they rely on you know everyone remembering um, their own things, which doesn't always work out the, the way you'd like. Um, before I get into the system, Janet, just uh, let's just finish the thought here. I think um, the reporting aspect of it and the open items aging and tracking um, was compelling to you, you know, that you could get automation. Were there other things that you were looking for that you really wanted to achieve, right? Because again, there really isn't any huge issues that came with your closing and reconciliation process. So outside of the reporting aspect of it, uh, what are some of the other points that you really wanted to achieve or accomplish? One of the things that I liked about the system was it gave us more of a, an integrity to the recons. Um, as far as um, a control factor, because the dates of the items are coming in to the system and the balances are all coming in. So I felt that there was more integrity in the data that was being loaded into the system. And then certainly the efficiency. Um, we now probably finished recons where it was taking us three weeks. I would say my group finishes them in about a week and a half after they're done with their financial reporting so the efficiency was certainly one of them the integrity of the data 
the reporting. And then I like um, that we can track where we are in the process. Like I can see where each individual person that is assigned a task or a recon is and, and how much they have done and what they have yet to complete. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's take a look. I'm, uh, what I'm gonna do is get into the system um, and we can sort of put picture two words uh, in terms of what Janet is talking about. So just do a little bit of a level setting here, guys, um, before we start jumping around, because we will be jumping around. The concept of art, right? the concept of automation in this area is actually quite simple. Uh, we take the work that we're already doing during month end. So things like updating closing checklists, uh, doing the reconciliations like Jana was talking about, running your flex analysis, through infusing automation in all those areas, we help accountants reduce the overall pile of work that needs to be done. We streamline the rest. Uh, we eliminate all the paper that goes with it. And then we can provide now with the team with real-time analytics. It doesn't actually do every single step of the close for you. That would be amazing. But what it does do is to really take away all the admin, the compliance, all of the things that normally you have to do that is you know, important, but not super high value. And then we automate it. And because all the data around your close is now sitting in our site, we can start to pull some really cool reports and dashboards and, and that sort of thing. So I've logged in. Um, the way the reconciliation process kicks off is that at the end of the month, we're gonna either feed or upload a trial balance from your GL platform into ART and it starts to populate the reconciliation templates themselves. It populates the reconciliation checklist um, and then it populates the dashboards, which is what you're seeing here. Um, so Janet, I think um, let's go in order. We'll probably start here with the dashboards. Talk to us about how you use these dashboards, right? Because this is sort of showing you what's happening during the close. Right, so I, I, to the left, I'm looking to see how many recons are started, how many are reconciled. And I just want to point out, at, when we started, Nancy, of those 600 and some accounts, 42% of our accounts are now system reconciled where um, we don't have to touch those other than to sign off on them. But That's so incredible. I look at all of that, where everything is in the reconciliation status. I like the little smiley face that as we're completing those recounts, it starts to fill up. And then um, unassigned accounts is good. If we happen to add a new GL account that you know we don't have assigned to somebody, that will alert me. And then um, further down is the task list, I think is on this. And oh, it tells uh, the task status, right? Yeah. So we have different tasks other than recons in there that we do at month end. And so it'll tell me um, what's pending and overdue and complete on those mm -hmm. tasks. Yeah, and during the close and the reconciliation process, are you on the dashboard every day or how often do you check it? Um, I'm usually in it several times a day. Okay, just logging in and seeing what's happening and deciding if you need to mm -hmm. drill down or take some action. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what Jenna was talking about earlier around system reconciliation is a concept that, you know, this typically starts to make a really, in, really big impact once you have over 100, 200 accounts. 
that you need to reconcile. The concept is that with your stack of accounts, typically there's some percentage of them that on a month to month basis do not actually require handling. You need a reconciliation, uh, but you don't actually need to handle those reconciliations. So, you know, common examples would be accounts that are kind of like suspense or clearing in nature, right? They're supposed to always have a zero balance. Well, guess what? You know, the, the recs come in, or not the recs, the GL balance comes in, it has a zero balance, it's supposed to be, the system's gonna know that, and art is going to system reconcile. So that, you know, yes, you've done the reconciliation because the machine is monitoring it, you have all the signatures and whatnot, but you're not actually spending your people's time working on it. So there's a bunch of variations on what could trigger system reconciliation is something that management would set in terms of algorithms. But typically what we see is that you're looking at between 10% and 40% of accounts that could be system reconciled. And, you know, Janet, you have a credit union, so our banks and credit unions, those percentages tend to be higher. And we've seen as much as 60 plus percent of system reconciliation. So, you know, especially if you're executing best practice, which is, you know, you do the reconciliation for every account every month, right? That could really become cumbersome. So having something where a system can apply logic and dice it through the balances and figuring out, do you actually need to do this reconciliation and then tie up the rest um, can just be a really great way to focus your people's time so that they're really working on the difficult stuff, not, you know, the easy stuff. And that tends to be distracting. Um, Janet, let's go and talk about some reporting. So these are the dashboards, they're real time. They're just you know, constantly trying to tell you what needs to be done. And they do also come with email alerts. So if you do have something that needs to be done or if something is late, for example, um, you can configure those alerts to also go to your inbox so that you don't necessarily have to always be on the dashboard. But our experience is that most people really enjoy looking at these dashboards because it's just so pictorial. <laughs> So I was going to jump in and, and just um, tell you that I really like the fact that I get email alerts. So as as folks, accountants are um, submitting their recons, I get those emails that tell me you have this many recons to sign off or you have this task. So that's always helpful, too. Do you ever um, get into a situation where the reconciliations are done and they're signed off? and you know lock down but then the balance on the gl changes and then you refeed that balance and then it opens up and sends you an alert um yes and we just um just this past month we about a month ago we had um jennifer a meeting with jennifer and she after having been on the system for a while she looked at you know what we were using and not using and she had some recommendations and this she said it would be helpful if your group probably uploaded your gl more than after close and so we did that this past month we um, were uploading it every morning or every afternoon and what was helpful with that was that our accountants were able to to resolve reconciling items before we actually close the month. So in those instances, when they were finished with a recon and then we uploaded a new GL and the balance changed, it would reopen it, yes. Terrific. What Jenna is referring to is a service that we call optimization. This is um, you know, all free of charge, but once you become our customer, once we get you guys online and you go live, after a certain time, we actually come and look into your site 
and provide some recommendations on if there are opportunities to further optimize or maybe introduce you to new features that you could use right away um, and that sort of assistance. So Jennifer is part of our product group. Okay, let me run um, this open item support um, and then we can sort of show the team as to what it is that you look at. So I'm gonna run it for, I think you said 90 days, is that right? Over That's 90 days? Actually run it for, yes. Okay, I mean, this is obviously not your data, but <laughs> the report format will look the same. Um, so yeah, talk to us about, I think this is what you're trying to get at um, in terms of monitoring open items, right? That's correct. Yeah, so it's pulling, what, what this is doing, it's scraping through all the reconciliations in the system, and then it's pulling everything that is uh, sort of a timing difference in nature, either things that are supposed to clear itself out or things that maybe you wanted to write off, but you're not really quite ready yet, and you wanted to monitor it and track it. Right, so this is what Janet does. She, she has her team do the reconciliations, and then from the reporting module, and you'll see how quickly this comes out, she can then see a list of just the items over X many days where she can then look and say, okay, well, maybe we should be taking some action on you know, this item here or that item there. Maybe I need to have a conversation. Maybe this is okay, leave it as is. Um, and I don't know if you go further than that, but do you do any extraction to Excel or PDF or any sort of sign off at this stage? No, we do not. Okay, you're just kind of running this um, when you need to and taking a look at whether you, should, yeah, you know, again, should be taking I action. Off. I do sign off on it. Mm -hmm. But then, I, and I take that back, I do um, bring it into Excel because then I will um, sort by some of the GL accounts and I do a summary for our CFO and I send it off to her. Terrific, yeah. Once you get into Excel, I mean, <laughs> Your options are limitless. <laughs> you can do yes. whatever you want with it. All right, just one last thing, because um, we spoke uh, previously about your auditors, right? So it's getting information to your auditors, because again, now that everything's in the system. So you don't actually invite them into the system to look, but instead you extract, you, you send them information, is that right? We haven't really had an audit or an exam since we implemented that they needed to, to be in the recons, but we do have an exam coming up and then for our year-end audit, I'm probably gonna allow them to be in the system. We're gonna assign them an auditor login, but we did have, um, we have an exam coming up that they want some reconciliations and we started pulling those. Yes, we just go in, um, select the ones we want and download those recons and it's a, so much easier than trying to find folders that, and providing them with folders because now everything's in a file. Yeah, and this is a little bit unusual in terms of um, the way we offer our service. Um, again, because we do a lot of work with banks and you know credit unions, very regulated industries. Um, so for us, you know, even though the data lives online and you can always, for example, get an auditor access into the system, there's also an option to just basically copy any information you want and then send that to your auditors. So when you extract, you actually are extracting the reconciliation cover sheets, all the sign-off information, and you're also pulling out all of the support that you may have also attached to a particular 
reconciliation. So that's really neat because sometimes you may have a wreck, you know, in something like a prepaid and guess what? It actually comes with so many invoices and so many contracts because you have all of these prepays that are just running, right? So you don't have to extract everything by hand. You really just click a button and the, you know, cover sheet comes out and whatever it is that was attached to any of your uh, amortizing items, the contract invoices, they all come out at the same time. And it's nicely folded up um, you know, and named and you can just blast it off to your auditors. Janet, talk to us about um, your evaluation process. So you've identified some of your objectives that you wanted to achieve around your close process. Um, and at that time, did you clear it with your management first or did you go ahead and set up demos or um, how, how did that process go? So <clears throat> I will say that we had looked at um, a software a couple years back and it, we just didn't feel like it was the time to um, to take the step because it was fairly expensive. The the one we looked at and in we just didn't know that there were different methods out there. But the one we looked at was charging you for every line item of your general ledger that you brought in. And so we just kind of scrapped it several years back. But then I went to um, I believe it was an AICPA conference for credit unions, and I visited your booth and um, had lunch with several ladies and so then I came back and I looked into it and what I did was I um, I briefly talked to the CFO about it we didn't really get into a lot but I scheduled some demos um, with SkyStem and one other company just so we could um, just so I could have two different um, products that I was looking at so I scheduled those and um, we made the decision that we really liked SkyStem. We liked the interaction with the group and um, the cost was really beneficial to us. So at that point, then I talked to my CFO and I said, what, what would um, I need to do to implement this and get it in the budget um, for the current year that we were on? And she asked me to put together a proposal outlining uh, outlining our current process, what the proposed process would be with the new system, the benefits of um, being automated, um, any dependencies that we would need, such as if we needed IT help or, or some other group that had to help us implement. Um, and then I did a, a return on investment using the soft dollar cost of the accountant's time and I was able to show this cost savings and then my CFO it really uh, it, it just took a matter of days for to get buy-in on it so that's how that's how I um, went about getting acceptance of the system yeah, this is something that a lot of um, folks struggle with is idea of the return on investment. And that's why, you know, it is really, of course, it's always important to look at cost, right? But cost is really not the only factor. But the thing about the type of software, especially if you come from a small to mid-sized accounting team where you don't have, you know, 85 people doing the work, 
is that you'll probably are not going to get rid of somebody right from automating this process not because the capacity isn't there to do it but just because you know you have a handful of people and they get involved in every other thing as well it, it just doesn't really make as much sense to remove headcount so this is something they want to be really careful about, making sure that if you're going to make this investment, that the return is going to be there. Because a lot of times, it might not come from the ability to shave off hard costs. Um, where this could become really valuable, though, is um, like in Janet's situation, you're opening up capacity, right? I'm, I'm still going to keep my eight people, but what it enables me to do is maybe take on extra stuff, right? Do you want uh, work on other things during the close, potentially? And then as the credit union grows, as the business grows, right, we can absorb whatever extra work that comes with it without having to add additional headcount or just really stretch everyone out, make them do things that, you know, not really high value. People don't tend to want to do that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it seems like that evaluation process didn't take very long. The approval itself took a couple of days. And I think from the time you um, approach your management till the time you finish the demos and selected a vendor was a couple of weeks, right? Right. Yes. Okay. Um, and then did we start uh, implementation right away with you? Did it start the following month, or did you did you wait for a bit before we decided to get started? I think we signed our contract in December because we wanted to get it in the mm -hmm. current year that we were in. We signed the contract, and I think we started meeting. Um, we must have met early January or in January, I would say. And then yeah, we I think we got started within sixty days. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How um, take us very long to get? I mean, I just know it didn't take us very long to get up and running. Yeah. Walk us through that, if you remember um, the major steps. You know what you guys had to do on your end. Um, people are always very curious about that. Sure. Um, I, we probably had a phone conversation or a phone meeting less four or less. Um, we, the first meeting was you walked us through the system again. You went through the spreadsheet that we would, there's a spreadsheet that we had to fill out for all of our um, balance sheet accounts, um, given a little bit of detail about what type of account it was. You're, so you had a template. Our GL was in there. We had to complete this. Um, which two of my accountants worked on that, and that didn't take them very long. I don't think you had to come back and tell us, you know, hey, this was not done correctly. It was so easy to follow. We finished that. We gave it to you. You built the system based on that template that we gave you. Um, I think the next um, phone meeting we had was training. And that was training on completing the reconciliations, moving around as a user in there. And then there was an additional training for the two of us that were admins on the system. And then I think the next step was when we got together to actually upload our first GL at the end of March. Mm -hmm. I think to kick off your first cycle. 
Yes. Yeah, that that seems like a pretty traditional setup for us. I don't think we really deviated from that plan. Um, what I have up here is our typical implementation steps, uh, which is everything you just echoed, right? So what we would do, this happens very quickly for our accounting teams. It's usually a three to four week elapsed time, and we actually can get this up and going in about 20 hours. So it does happen really quickly, and folks are surprised by that a lot of the time. But it's five major steps. First, we do a kickoff meeting. It's our initial meeting. We study your trial balance, your chart of accounts, your reconciliation checklist, closing checklist, whatever it is that you got, we want to look at it. And then we go through the system and kind of figure out what it is that you want to be using. Right. For example, do you need to reconcile in multiple currencies? Do you have one or two levels of review on your reconciliation? Right? How many closing checklists do you have? So we get sort of that basic information and the basic feature set down. Um, and then we send uh, our customers home with a little bit of homework. It's usually a template. Like Janet mentioned, you populate your closing checklist activities. You populate your reconciliation checklist. Who's going to do it? Who's going to review it? Is there due dates? You know, things that. Uh, well, was there anything, Janet, that we asked for that you did not have and had to go look for it? No, no. And one of the things that really I thought was wonderful was we could all we could contain this project all in the accounting area. We didn't need any outside help from IT or any any other departments. Yeah. And that is our goal as well. We're we're really hypersensitive about two things when we do the setup. One is not involving IT unless our customers want to. This is 90% of the time our customers' IT team is already very burdened. So we handle the entire setup process in-house working with our customers' accounting team. And that is one reason we can get started on this project so quickly and get it done in about a month's time. The other thing that we're really sensitive about is to minimize business interruption. And, you know, there's always going to be some interruption just because it's something new, it's a new technology. But we do understand that the close is a different animal because it doesn't go away, even if you're working on a special project. It just, you know, keeps coming every month. So we want to sort of get in, configure right, get out of there, get the system up, get you trained, and get you on your way. Um, and there is some support that comes with this that we'll talk about later. But the goal really is that we know that you already know how to run your clothes you already know how to do your reconciliations it's really just about digitizing that process so completing that template really doesn't take a lot of time because for the most part because you're already doing the work you have that information um, and once we get that information we actually go we as vendors we go home and we build that site for you Get your closing checklist online, get your reconciliations online, you know, get your users all set up, you know, link everything up, make sure the settings are exactly how you want it. And once we build that site, we come back and present it to your people to make sure that, you know, the site is um, not completely messed up or if there's some tweaks that need to be done, um, that's the time when we take that feedback and then we tweak up the site. And after that, every single user goes through training all your regular users will go through one round of training. Your admin will actually go through a second round of um, there's more specialized training for them since they got to do a little bit more than a regular user. But essentially, that would conclude the setup, right? So we kick off the project towards the beginning of the month. By the end of the same month, your site is set up, you're ready to go, everyone is trained, and we're actually going live for your very first cycle. 
So your very first cycle, what was that like for you and your accountant? It went very well. Uh, we were all remote, so as we were uploading, we were on the phone with you, and we were all in different locations, but um, so you helped us with our first upload of the data. Um, the accountants were off and running with it the very first cycle. They loved it. Um, they saw great efficiency in it, and they were um, extremely pleased with how quickly they could get reconciliations done. And so it was just a great success all the way around. Did you, did you encounter any sort of challenges within that first one or two cycles? Um, like, do folks need um, special training on uh, or special time on how to set up a reconciliation or whether it's areas where um, folks are just struggling a little bit more um, than in other areas? Um, not really. The second month that we went to um, to upload our GL, we might have had a little bit of, um, it might have taken us a little longer to like clear or determine what an error was with the file and to look at it, but um, not too terribly long. And I don't even think we had to reach out for help at that point. But um, as they work through them for the first month or two, they were finding more little ways to do things or, you know, ways to look at things differently or, you know, just as you get used to any new software package, um, they made it work for them. So it was great. Easy to learn, easy to move around in. Your user guides are terrific. I think folks that are um, in Janet's situation where, you know, you, you don't have a large team, but you serve a business that is medium sized, um, they're kind of in a tough spot because you're at that, you know, weird place where the business has enough complexity because it's really getting to become a large company. Um, but at the same time, you probably don't have the headcount to, you know, really do a ton, right? It's not like you have 50, 60 people sitting there helping you out with whatever. So, and if you combine that with the close, if you think about, you know, what quote unquote leading process will usually say is they usually want you to close within three to five days. They usually want um, either all or at least most of the reconciliations done by the time you close. I mean, that's if you think about, you know, a Janet situation, eight people, 600 plus accounts, it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's not totally unreasonable, um, especially if you're dealing with just a whole bunch of spreadsheets. And, and then you're, you're doing other things, too. You're not just swimming reconciliations for five days, eight days. There's other things that you got to do, not to even mention special projects. So. This is where really automation comes into play is really helping you achieve those timeline objectives, the quality objectives, you know, really help you get to the meat of what it is you're really doing, um, you know, for the reconciliation stuff. And this is something, you know, I talk about all the time. The point of doing reconciliations is not to have a stack of paper by the time you're done. It's to validate the health of the balance sheet is to identify errors and it is to monitor and track your potentially stale open item for write-off review. So in order to accomplish that, you know, first of all, you've got to do your recs, right? You can't not do them. Second of all, you got to do them on time, right? Doing them 60 days after the fact is 
kind of meaningless, right? If you're looking to identify errors because you might need to adjust your period um, during the close. So timing matters, the action matters, and then you know picking up all the variances and the open items and all the little things that you want to be tracking. That's super hard to do um, in a manual world, and that's where it really we're all about. Um, Janet mentioned uh, the job aids, and um, I am kind of curious, Janet, um, I don't know if you know this from your people in terms of how people prefer to be supported. So, you know, we have anything from online courses that folks can take. Uh, we have live phone and email support and chat support. We do one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching for folks who just want, you know, some private time with one of our reps going through a, a reconciliation for the first time. You talked about the job aids um, that is completely offline for those who don't necessarily want to go online. Um, but do you guys mostly rely on the job aids or did you also either attend the Genius Academy or call in or email for support? Um, we use the job aids and we've emailed support a few times, but that's about okay. all, we've, all we've done. Okay. And then it looks like um, you guys also took up uh, the opportunity to do the optimization meeting, right? When Jennifer came yeah. in and sort of talked to you about what you could be using. Yes. And that's, yeah. that, was, that was very, very beneficial because, you know, you start out using the system and you get the basics down and then you forget everything else that you might have learned. And then, after <laughs> and then they come back and say, oh, well, you can do this. And it makes a lot more sense. So. Um, yes, so that was great. Yeah, and the the timing of it is really cool, I mean, at least in our mind, because we sort of wait until there's enough data in the system, because sometimes it really helps to see what it is that our customers are doing as a team, and then compare that to, well, even though there's, a you know, 100 features in there, you might not necessarily care or want to use all of them, but when there's data populated over a couple of cycles, we can start to see, all right, you know, probably they can benefit from this, or hey, this one here might be really helpful given that they're using this particular, they're using this section a certain way. So we usually prefer to see some data, and then, and we offer this to everyone, and most people really enjoy it, is we come in and do an optimization meeting, talk to you about, like, this is, Seems like what you're doing. Did you want to turn on this feature and use that? Or here are some other ideas you can use this particular section or area um, and then sort of get those conversations and ideas, you know, juicing that way. And then if there is something new that the team is interested in doing, if they need help on it, if it's something more complicated than turning on a feature, then we'll usually schedule some training to go over that um, privately. So all that is really included as part of being part of the Kaisen family. So I think one thing I want to point out is that um, Janice has had a very successful software implementation, right? She got her management approval quickly, made her decisions um, in, you know, a judicious way, started the project uh, rather soon, and then, you know, really got 100% adoption right away. And I, and I, from speaking with Jennifer, I know your team is really on it. I think they really try to do it right the very first time. And I love the idea that everyone is sort of trying to figure out what else I can tweak or what else I can do to do better. Um, unfortunately, that's really not the case with every single team. And if you just think about the kind of software teams you've been part of or the type of implementation done in the past, um, you know, sometimes it's successful, 
and sometimes you hit about you hit rope bombs or you just you know could not get the project up so this is something that we really thought about um just figuring out sort of the top five or six things why projects fail when it comes to any sort of software um, and it's a couple things right it can go from anything like number one is the decision making process this could be anything from choosing a software that has maybe too many or too few of the features you needed um, or you purchased maybe a very complicated system when you don't have the technical skill to maintain it you've overestimated the return on investment for example so kind of getting that um, very poor setup before you even get out of the game Second, and we see this sometimes, is really involving the wrong people. And this could be either not getting the right people to buy in or um, designating someone to lead the project that is really not that excited about making a change or don't have the right technical skill set to do so. Um, it could also be underestimating the time of project needs um, and the staffing. Uh, we've also seen situations where the configuration is not correct. Right, you could have purchased the right software, but you actually configured it very poorly or you configure it incorrectly. Right, certain features you had wanted never get turned on, or you picked the workflow that didn't really help your team at all, um, or not really understanding the available customizations within the system, etc. Uh, training is a big part of it. The first 30 to 60 days of going live is really, really important um, if you want to achieve success. And having enough training, having the right kind of training, making it accessible to ideally everyone, um, that's going to be a huge indicator of whether or not this project is going to be successful. And of course, the customer support that comes after the fact. There are so many sort of hosted software out there. You know, if you are looking to purchase any kind of software, one thing that I always suggest you think about is the customer support aspect of it. And sometimes we get all excited about the features and we don't necessarily think through the whole thing. But you know, think about when you get online, are you going to have access to real people to support you? Are you gonna be calling to a call center? Right? Are you going to having to log an email and then no one get back to you, you know, in a day or two days? These are really things that you need to think about. Some people don't need a lot of support and other people need a lot of handholding. And you know your team best. Right? There's nothing wrong with either scenario, but you know your team best. So if you're thinking about going into any sort of software partnership, really just understand how it is that they plan to support you to make sure that it is going to be a good fit for your particular team. Um, number five, this idea of really allowing reluctance to breed, not overcoming that reluctance. Right? Software projects fail sometimes when the initial reluctance from your people from certain individuals is allowed to breed. When you have naysayers, right, and sometimes you will, and yet leadership is unable or unwilling to confidently and patiently overcome that reluctance. We don't all have to agree with each other as a team, but we do need to follow the leader once a decision has been made. And when one or more individuals is allowed to, you know, not really participate in the software, it sends a bad message to the team because it makes the team think that this is an optional thing. And that's usually, you don't want to have that, right? Because most software is designed to centralize and consolidate the work in addition to automating processes. And when you don't have 100% participation in that software, you're not going to be able to achieve 100% centralization. And then lastly is about not 
following up. This includes following up with your own team as well as with your vendors. You always wanna get feedback from your team, especially after 30 to 60 days, what is working, what's not working, changes are there sometimes that need to be tweaked after go live and you wanna get that feedback not only from your team, but also from your vendor, especially if your project is not going well. It's super important to communicate that because a lot of times your vendor has seen the same exact scenario before. They may have resources that could really help you. And most vendors want to maintain a good relationship. They want to maintain a good reputation and they really want to help. <laughs> so, you know, these are the six points that we think are probably the most important when it comes to really making that software project, you know, be successful or not be successful that we should keep in mind of. All right, well, I want to do a couple of announcements. October is a great month for our webinars. I'm actually really, really excited about it. It's going to be a great treat for me. Um, you know, my kids are not going to be trick-or-treating, but I'm going to have a treat. So we're going, to do, we're going to be doing Spooky Tales from the SEC. This is, remember, our annual webinars looking at SEC fraud stories. Uh, so I really encourage you to attend that. That's going to be on in Corsa. Uh, that's October 15th at 11. Uh, on October 20th uh, at 11, we're going to be doing a Back to Basics webinar as well. This is on how to do a reconciliation. This is a very, very popular course. I try to do it once or twice a year. So if you haven't attended this course or you think someone else could benefit from it, have them sign up through Incorsa. Um, and then on the 15th, sorry, I'm jumping around, on our own, uh, on the SkySun website, you could sign up for a live demo of our month and close. Uh, automation platform, and that's going to be for one CPE credit. In November, on the 10th, 3 p.m., we are doing a webinar within Corsa on confronting the change challenge, talking about what changes and how to overcome it from a management standpoint, how to work with it, how to get buy-in, and then when it doesn't make sense <laughs> to get all that buy-in. Um, and as usual, you could also go to our website, www.skystem.com, where you could sign up for recorded demos or real short 20 minutes. You could access case studies, um, listen to demos we've done in the past, um, all that good stuff. And that's all for the announcements uh, from me. And Janet, I want to thank you so much for being with us um, and really sharing with our audience um, that journey from manual, traditional, to automation, to modernization. You know, you've got a great team to support you, and I'm sure a lot of that is through your leadership. But it's just really great for us to hear from the other side, because as vendors, we don't always get that access as well. To hear from the other side, you know, what that experience was like for your team. So, so thank you so much for being here and for sharing your wisdom with us. You're welcome, and thank you for inviting me.